Master Xehanort went back in time to the future to find his nobody and his heartless, and there's three of them running around. Ho ho! This makes sense! Ho 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 ho! Was that before or after he cloned himself into 13 versions? Ho ho! Which one of the 13 organizations is it? Is it Organization 13-1 or the real Organization 13-2? Who fucking knows? Ho 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 ho! Goodness, why is it that sometimes when a person unlocks their heart they turn into two people or maybe three people but sometimes they don't? Ho oh. When you give your heart to the darkness you turn into three people but if they kill you nobody and you're heartless you get to be a real person again. But that's before we talk about the replicas which look exactly like people but you can put a heart inside them, and hearts can live anywhere, even in data! I'm Mickey Mouse, can you fucking believe it? Can you fucking believe this shit? The protagonist of the first game is actually someone else from another game who's a prequel that's been sent into his body as a child! Oh. Terrazetta Heart! Terrazetta Nort! Terrazetta Saga! Terrazetta Blade! Everyone's getting norded! Welcome to Podquisition. <laughs> So I'm going to go ahead and guess that this is the game that uh, is currently causing your latest The Internet versus Jim controversy. Oh, this is this is Resident Evil 2. This is, <laughs> the game takes a real wild turn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mickey Mouse is in Resident Evil 2. Yeah, it, you unlock Hunk, you unlock Tofu, and then you get the Mickey Mouse playthrough. Woohoo! Uh, thank you for joining us in the studio today, Mickey. Woohoo! No, don't mention it! All right, he's gone now. Um, right, right, yeah, Kingdom Hearts. Is it the internet versus Jim? I put the video up and then ran away laughing. I, 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 haven't, I haven't looked at the response to that video. I think that video was very fair. I think it was. Well, I ran it by Justin, who is a massive Kingdom Hearts fan, because I was like, look, it's, it's a quasi-tongue-in-cheek video. Makes some serious points, of course, but, you know, it's a, a bit of a laugh, but I want to be fair. And I ran it by Justin, he's obsessed with Kingdom Hearts, he's got a Keyblade and everything, and he said it was perfectly fair. As someone else that owns the Keyblade, like a proper metal replica Keyblade, and is fucking into the Kingdom Hearts games, I love them, but I acknowledge that they're terrible, and that this is not good storytelling, and that the barrier to entry is ludicrous, and why would you... I'll put it this way. I have played pretty much every Kingdom Hearts game, I still had to watch a 45-minute recap video <laughs> before Kingdom Hearts 3 came out, and I'm still a little fuzzy on a couple of the plot points. Yeah, if if you if you're lost, a listener, if you're one of the, if you're someone who listens to this but doesn't watch the show this span off from, um, I did a video talking about why Kingdom Hearts is nonsensical gibberish, um, which is a point a few people have made over the years. But I also talked about overcomplication, the actual problem with the dialogue, and why Kingdom Hearts 3 isn't the event it could have been in my mind because of all of the spin-off guff. But some people were upset because I criticised their sacred cow. Uh, I happen to actually really like Kingdom Hearts myself. Yeah. Uh, that's part of my frustration with it because so much of it is badly written. I'll be honest, Jim, I don't understand how anyone can hate on a video that has the dog from The Thing singing Let It, Let it Go. <laughs> <laughs> I was very pleased with that edit. That was uh, one of my rare... Decent edits that I did myself. So, I will make one slight counter to to something you made in a point you made in your in your video, and oh, it's sure. that idea of of the game not having as much hype behind it as it could have. And I think for most people who play Kingdom Hearts three, you're right. For most people, it will have less hype than it could have had because of the confusing nature of getting into the plot. But I think it's equally fair to say anyone who has managed to keep up with the plot at this point probably has such a ridiculous level of investment that it's probably increased the hype tenfold. Yeah, I, I should have made an allowance for that. Yeah, I think there are probably people for whom the hype is much bigger because they've invested in 11 games worth of convoluted plot. Yeah, I, I took a very sort of personal standpoint in, in terms of mm. the, the sense of event that this is. But yeah, I mean, if you're someone who has been who's played every single game and also has an eidetic memory to remember all of the fuck, then you are probably like waiting for the, waiting for with bated breath for, well not bated breath, that's actually a, a misused term. Um, you're waiting in, in gleeful, fanboyish anticipation uh, for the conclusion of the Xehanort saga or whatever <laughs> the fuck. Um, because apparently this is the conclusion of a saga. This is the end of chapter one that started in 2002 or whatever it was. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. 
90% of every Kingdom Hearts game is Disney stuff that is completely irrelevant to the overarching plot, and as such, even if I hadn't kept up with the overarching plot, I'd still play 3 and I'd still enjoy it, because the vast majority of the game time is just go around Disney World's beat stuff up, that's really fun, and then I'd get to the end and go, eh, I don't know what's going on, but whatever, it's a big spectacle. So Laura, for those of us who um, don't really know about Kingdom Hearts, <laughs> what exactly... Um... The abridged version, in what way do these universes exist together? Why is Disney with, is it Final Fantasy characters or? Uh, it's Final Fantasy characters and then some other generic um, JRPG type characters. Um, basically, the, the, the various Disney worlds are sources of light energy that is, that is used to keep the universe in balance and there's a very bad person who keeps breaking these worlds apart trying to be like no, no. we want we want lots of evil we want to open the, the door to evil so all the evil can come through all the disney worlds are planets in space and you fly to them um in a ship made of gummy bears essentially yeah yeah <laughs> wait is that actually what happens that, or... that's a real thing you oh, you wow. fly between planets on a gummy bear ship and usually it's like there's a Usually there's a princess who's gone missing. It'll be like, you know, Jasmine or Cinderella or something. You go do a bunch of stuff. You save them. Because you saved them, their light inside them won't be used to open up the big door to go into the evil place. And weaved in throughout it are these things called Heartless that are going around attacking everything. These things called Nobodies that are going around attacking everything. Organization 13, the real Organization 13. Xehanort, Xehanort, and Xehanort, and Terra Xehanort, and Riku, who's also Ansem, who's also Xehanort. Um, <laughs> and it, it sort of spirals from there some of the cutscenes are making my head hurt um but the, the disney shit is fine and the gameplay is f great yeah can, can i attempt to explain like i'm not going to explain the whole thing of this plot because that would be a good 45 minutes but can i try and explain very quickly the this is what you actually need to know to play kingdom hearts 3 and for it to roughly make sense yeah um first game three kids grow up on an island together they all end up in a in the the world of the Disney stuff, one of them gets very angsty, temporarily gets controlled, ends up fighting free of it, but gets locked in a dark world for a while. So, uh, the kids, kids, the good good kids got a sword that's a key now. He saved his his friend, got her back to the island. Uh, at some point during that, he got he he had to let his friend's heart out of him. So he split into two people. The person he split into eventually comes back and becomes part of him, so that's not a big problem. Fuck? Um, <laughs> We've only just started, Gav. Yeah, there's this group of 13 people, Organization 13. They're all people that got split off from other people. Most of them eventually go, hey, we probably shouldn't work for the bad guy. The bad guy eventually has to clone himself, make 13 of himself to do the job because he doesn't have his 13 friends anymore. That's the other Organization 13. Yeah, if you go back to the past, there were like three people with these keys swords before one of them put his soul into the protagonist of the series when he was a baby that's like not super important um there was a whole spin-off game where where the characters just lost their memory and then got their memory back that's unimportant there was a war over these key swords once basically there's a big there's an evil dude who can take over people he wants to get thir what is it seven good people and 13 bad people and like turn them into a big key sword that you can do something evil with that's what you need to know. Yeah. Um, and in between all that are things like the Datascape, where there are data versions of people. It's basically oh, the Matrix. Mm. Uh, Dragon Ball Z fusion dances. Um, just all sorts yeah. of nonsense. All Imagine all of the anime that trying to fit itself in a Disney-sized hole. And that's the thing, is most of the Disney worlds don't weave any of this plot in. The plot is like, you finish the Disney world, and then there's a 30-second cutscene where you get a little bit of this, and then the end of the game, they just throw all the plot at once. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, because in the Disney, like... In each of the Disney worlds, one of these walking hair pieces mm. uh, from Organization 13 turn up and just start chatting shit. It's better now than it was. Kingdom Hearts 1, you would get a 30 seconds with Riku at the end of, of each world and that was it. It's gotten better. I don't know. I'm being a bit harsh on it. I feel like Kingdom Hearts 3... When it is just the Disney shit is fine, but I don't know, every time I see one of them Organisation 13 people turn up, I just, my eyes glaze over. Uh, and, and I wish they could have a cutscene without saying the word heart or darkness, often multiple times. So what is this, like a prequel to Apocalypse Now? Or? <laughs> I, 
I was really into, and I know the name is terrible, Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days. Blah! Which is the one that introduced Organization 13. So I'm kind of... I've got in my head who they are, so I'm I'm cool when they show up. Uh, they they bore me. I, I lose track of which who Xenohort and Ansem and the other person that's also called Ansem but isn't the same <laughs> Ansem. I lose track of that bit. It's so I'm on top stupid. of the organization thirteen, and I know the people from Birth by Sleep just about. Which organization thirteen? <laughs> okay, uh, I'm cool with the people from original organization right. thirteen, not real organization thirteen, because that's just like thirteen versions of Xenohort. Yeah, I mean I. Uh, yeah, I like some of the visual design, but I, I can't tell most of the antagonists apart. Like, there's not a villain in there that speaks to me at all, especially because the dialogue is so badly written in places that I, I, I sense no personality from any of them. And they're all just heart, darkness, heart, darkness, heart, darkness, light, light, light. Light's a new one in this one. They say that a lot as well this time. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that it's... These are all very valid problems with it. I'm having a fucking blast, though. I mean, that's the thing. I started, I've started this podcast off harsh, but it is a great game. I, I feel like I have to be harsh on it because, like, I can't... I don't want to go in with glowing recommendations and someone pick this up just hearing the glowing recommendations and have no clue what the fuck to expect. Like, I feel like, get get the criticism out of the way and then go. If that doesn't scare you off... This is a really fun game where it's just really nice to hit things with a big key. Yeah, I mean, if you if if you can sideline all of just the nonsense, the Square Enix nonsense. If you just replace the nonsense with, like, sentences about MacGuffins, you just go, blah, 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 MacGuffin, blah, 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 MacGuffin, and then just play the Disney stuff. That's actually on par with the real dialogue, what you just said. Yeah, it's not far off, is it? No, but the gameplay is fantastic. The actual Disney stuff is good. Yeah. I, I the, the combat is fantastic. It looks amazing. Like, all of the different world designs are really well done. Um, I struggle to think of a game that has as good a set of, like, world designs and visual design as this. I love all the designs that... Uh, your tr- main trio of characters get when they go to these worlds and they get redesigned to look like they fit in that world. Yeah. It's really fun to just be like, I'm now a monster from Monsters, Inc. Time to beat some stuff up. The um, the animations are particularly amazing, I feel. Um, yeah. Little things, like if you walk like over a rock and Sora just sort of hops over it, there's a little animation for that, a little animation for moving Donald or Goofy out the way when you walk past them. Um, exquisite luxury animations is how I've been describing them. Luxury animations. Um, but they don't get in the way of the gameplay too much. Uh, some games I call over-animated because they've made all these flourishing animations, but they come at the expense of actual one-to-one control. You don't have that issue where you're having to wait for a walk cycle to end before you can continue moving in a new direction. Yeah. It all feels very fluid. <laughs> yeah. My one issue with combat is I wish it was a bit quicker to, to dodge and block um, when you're in the middle of doing something else, when you're in the middle of attacking. Um, I've Oftentimes I'll get hit um, because I, I, tr- I felt like I was blocking at the right time, but he wasn't done swinging. Um... And there are these moments where I feel a bit stuck, not quite stunlocked, but like I'll get hit and I haven't been given an opportunity to do anything else except get hit again and again and again. I I can understand that criticism. The counterpoint I'll make, and this is going to be a weird comparison to make, I found that it plays best when you try and play the combat a little bit soulsy in... Like, don't go in for a hit unless you are confident that that's the opening to go for, rather than just, like... Because with all the the colourful visuals, it is really easy to get into that mindset of, I'm just going to swing my sword a bit and I'll I'll play reactionary, but... Yeah. It doesn't want you to do that. It wants you to be a bit more thoughtful about what you do. Yeah, I ain't been playing it that way. I'll just be going hell for fucking leather. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> you know, the amount of... The ludicrous amount of equally ludicrous special attacks that you could pull off. Mm. It's it's like dazzling as you play it. Like it just It's a big old spectacle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean this is this is one of the most spectacular combat um com- 
why have I forgotten how to speak today? Uh, I'll just say it's got some of the most spectacular combat I've ever seen. There we are. That'll get yeah. around the word I was trying to say. I, I think trying to explain the plot yesterday has rendered you, uh, for the first time in your life, speechless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... Yeah, I, I'm. Apologies, listener. I'm exhausted. I didn't sleep at all last night, and I've been trying to capture Kingdom Hearts footage and losing it, and just been very fucking flustered and annoyed today. So if I'm all all over the place, I'm sorry about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is a visual audio mechanical spectacle. Is the combat in Kingdom Hearts? Yeah. But and there's so much to do, and none of it's altogether necessary so you can ignore bits of it if you want like i'm not one for the a lot of the flow motion stuff it's just not for me but it it doesn't have to be because there's magic attacks and uh attraction attacks and form changes and ally the the little bouncy fucking cat the link Mm. attacks i think they're called just so much of it it reminds me in some ways almost of like the 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 spider-man combat moveset in that you can totally get away with not using a bunch of the tools you have at your disposal because it's just like just do the ones that you want to do yeah like occasionally you'll need one of these like four attacks for specific enemy types but otherwise just how do you want to do it yeah and similarly to spider-man it's the amount of stuff you can do isn't necessarily overwhelming Mm. because it's all contextual yeah um for the most part you're pressing a button to pull off a lot of the stuff well at least to initiate a lot of the stuff and then the subsequent buttons you've got to press are very clearly yeah. uh, communicated to you so you're never really lost uh, so far i have found kingdom hearts 3's gameplay like in terms of just the combat to be as engaging as i found spider-man's in that sense of just i would happily just do a bunch more content where it's like go over there and beat more stuff up and don't progress with the story just beat more stuff up yeah because i'm just having a lot of fun fighting i oh, know i've had yeah i've had a um, in, in trying to capture some footage, I've been returning to, to previously uh, completed stuff mm. just to get some combat footage. And just running back through a world, having mm. done it, is fun enough because of the sheer variety of enemies and the variety of tools you have at your disposal to take them out. Yeah. Um, and I'm yet to get bored somehow of the attraction attacks. I haven't even turned yeah. off the the uh, cinematics for them because just the sheer colour and sound of it is amazing. One thing I've learned from Kingdom Hearts 3 is that Disney Disney World is full of fucking dangerous (laughs) rides. Uh, uh, So yeah, the only other thing I wanted to say is I know I was being very harsh and critical on the the plot going in. I, I don't retract anything I said. It is a nonsense plot that should never have been allowed to get this unwieldy and ludicrous to understand what's happening. But that said, I'm actually really enjoying the plot. Like, if you can get over that hurdle to know what's going on, (laughs) it's a lot of fun. I'm in that camp of people where I understand what's happening enough to be excited about plot developments, and there's enough I don't know to be like, ooh, ooh, what's that, what's that, and to Google a thing every now and then, and to feel like I'm like, oh, oh, okay, okay, I, I know what's going on. Like, there's there's some mystery to what's going on in the plot still, because there are things I forgot. Yeah. I'm in a really nice middle ground with this, where I'm like, I can see this is a bad narrative. I am loving this bad narrative. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, depending on one's tolerance for, like, shameless cheesecake, um, and I like B-movie trash all day long, but this is just a bit too convoluted and, and a bit full of itself for me. But, you know, it's it's got that level of waffly detail that I, I can see why some people, like, really get into it mm. and really, like, piecing together these utterly r- ridiculous plot threads that go to wild places. Um, but, yeah, I find it just not... It's not for me. I, I, you, Justin said you can tell when like there's a stark difference between the original dialogue in this game and stuff they've cribbed from Disney, from like the actual yeah. Disney films, from real <laughs> writers. Uh, you can t- there's a gulf in quality in the writing. That's a totally fair observation to make. Um, I did want to give a recommendation to two videos I saw before starting on Kingdom Hearts 3 that I think are well worth watching. If you want to try and tackle that Herculean task of understanding what's going on, um, one of them is a recent Polygon video 
um, one one of their video people, um, Brian Gilbert, I believe his name is, is be- funniest person at Polygon for for my money at the moment. He he does a fantastic series of comedic videos and oh, his... Gilbo, Gilbo Gappins, yeah, Gilbo, Gilbo, his his Kingdom Hearts three explanation video. Um, is hilarious and made me learn things I hadn't realised about that plot. And there's a really good one by a guy called uh, Barry Kramer, who used to be on the Game Grumps YouTube channel. Uh, Basically, he sat down for seven hours on a live stream with someone that knows Kingdom Hearts and got them to explain for seven hours at him what Kingdom Hearts was. And then he distilled it down into 40 minutes and goes, I don't know any fucking thing about kingdom hearts but here is 40 minutes that make it sort of make sense wow hmm. so those would be my two recommendations for anyone that's like i want to actually understand <laughs> this nonsense plot i'm looking at a video of the uh the combat here and it's uh it's true what you say it's got almost like a bayonetta level of flashy s- yeah. spectacle to it everything just chains together really nicely it never feels like you have to stop it just keeps going and going and going mm. Plus, oh, these special attacks, like giant teacups flying around and shit, is really yeah, cool. Yeah, basically just Disney rides weaponized. It's it's. That's very cool. They're great. They're great. Like all of the, and then you know every world you go to, you're joined by different Disney characters. So if you're in Toy mm. Story World, um, you know Woody will light a firework and you'll ride on that around. Mm. Uh, just all sorts of um, uh, Rapunzel in in. Corona in entangled world uh, grabs you with her hair and swings you around. Just all sorts of great contextual attacks. Do you play then different characters in each mission? Is this, or can you pick? No, you're um you you play as Sora, Halle Jolly Osmond, and you're joined by Donald and Goofy. And then every world you go to, you're joined by one or two additional. Uh, characters from that Disney story. Yeah, right. your your character design changes every level as well. Yeah. Like they quite drastically change your visual look hmm. to match the world. Like to the point that these cartoon characters will end up looking very much like real people in Pirates of the Caribbean world, for example, because it's meant to be live action. Wow. But it's it's a really blooming fun game to play. Yeah. Just moment to moment. And and also, you can see why it took them so long. Because my god, it's dense. Yeah, it's... There's no wasted space, it's just content everywhere. Yeah, and I really like the uh, the level design on this one as well, yeah. as compared to previous ones, because the previous ones felt a bit like, like a school play had erected a set of a Disney yeah. world, because it was very small and boxy and empty, whereas this, it, it, they actually feel like worlds now, actual environments. You know what's the most surprising thing to me about this game? Mm. It's that it's such a technically well-made game that is so fun to play after being in development for so long. Because normally when games go into this sort of development hell, that's the thing that suffers. Like, we all knew that the plot was going to be nonsense, and if you were up to date with it, you'd love it, it'd be nonsense. But I was expecting it to be, like... I was expecting the seams of, like, repeated lengthy development to show a lot more. I was not expecting it to look, like, this modern. To have this... Like, it, I wasn't feeling expecting it to feel this contemporary. Yeah. I expected it to feel like it should have come out six years ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, especially visually. Like, it, it's, it's fucking gorgeous. Yeah, because you compare this to something like, say... The Last Guardian that came out and, like, it yeah. felt like it still controlled, like, a PS2 game. Like, you could feel its roots where it started development. That problem has just not hit this, and I'm kind of amazed by that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's impressive in terms of production quality. Um, also, in terms of detail, um, there's a big difference between what they've done here mechanically and what something like Red Dead Redemption 2 did, where both of them drown in detail, luxurious detail, but it doesn't get in the way in Kingdom Hearts 3. It gives you so much to do, but they still keep it simple on the user end. Yeah, the the difference, I because I've been pl- replaying a bit of Red Dead this week, and the biggest difference to me is just that Kingdom Hearts' design is about, like, what's going to be fun to do, as opposed to Red Dead, where it's like, 
what is going to be more realistic to implement. Yeah, yeah. Like, th- this has put the fun of playing very much first and foremost in their design choices. Yeah, and the result is a, a very enjoyable game indeed. Yeah, so there we go. That's that's is, that's probably enough Kingdom Hearts from us, I reckon. So we should probably <laughs> let Gav get a word in this episode. <laughs> Hello, Gav. How are you? Hello, Gavin. I'm fine. I'm fine. It was an entertaining listen, don't worry. Oh, well, welcome to Podquisition, by the way. I'm, I'm Jim <laughs> St- Sterling. I'm joined by Laura Kate Tail and Gavin <laughs> Miracle of Sound. Hi. Hello, everyone. We're here. We, we, we're doing a thing. Yeah. Uh, how are you, Gav? Uh, what have you been up to? I'm pretty good. I actually got to play some video games this week, which is the first Ooh. time in a while, so that was nice. Exciting. Um, I played Resident Evil 2. Um, Laura, did you play Resident Evil 2 at all? Yeah, I've I've not had a lot of time with it yet, yeah. because as soon as Kingdom Hearts dropped, I jumped over to that. But I've, I've, I've gotten started. I've played enough to have a feel of it now. I forgot. I think I was the only one who played it last time we recorded. Yes, you yeah. were. You were, I... yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really good, that one. I like what they've done with us. Proper old school survival horror. I think it's it's definitely fair to say that it's a different feel to the original RE2. Yeah. Um, I personally think the changes are for the better. Like, you lose out on a couple of things by leaving that fixed camera perspective. You mm. leave some of the, the tension of when you move from one fixed position to another and suddenly, oh, there's a zombie in front of my face, I didn't know, panic, run away. That, that particular fear is gone. Yeah. But I vastly prefer the the new tension which is like hey you're in control of your character and you know what's going on the difficulty is you don't have enough ammo and these things are bloody powerful stay alive actually that 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 rng with the zombies can be a little annoying at times i find but mm. i see why yeah. they did it it's to make sure that you're always kind of just struggling to get through with enough ammo yeah it it definitely it can be annoying in places but it definitely helps keep that tension at a very steady level yeah one thing about the game, I, I love the atmosphere. It didn't, it, it, to me, playing it didn't super feel like a Resident Evil game as much as it was almost like a cross between like Silent Hill and Dead Space or something. Yeah. It was like, uh, particularly in the later levels, but um, it's just so well done. And it's the best uh, controls that any of the the third-person Resident Evil games have had. Undoubtedly so. Like, I am so happy to get to play this game without tank controls. Yeah, and you still feel somewhat limited in what you can do, but they don't do mm. that by making the controls really clunky this time. Exactly. It's You're fighting against the enemies, not against your own controls. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the thing that I've been really excited about so far is I've really liked most of the choices they've made about how to revisit the story and the cutscenes. Yeah. Like, I think they've totally kept the tone of that plot intact while making it just, like, much better presented. I never played the... Like, I I've played, I played Resident Evil 1 when it came out, but I never played the second one. But I did go back and watch some video footage of 2 mm. um, after finishing the remake, and it, it does seem to be quite a loyal uh, recreation. Yeah, like there's nothing that stood out to me so far as like, oh, that's a weird choice they made. It's, it, I, I'm, I'm really happy with this re- remake. Same as same as the first RE remake. I think that like every Resident Evil that came out probably before four has aged quite considerably, and I certainly wouldn't be opposed to getting another to getting an RE three remake at some point. Like, I'll, I'll take another. Even four and five, to be honest, have aged quite a bit in the time since they've been out. Yeah, not not as badly as I would say one to three have. No, but like, not nearly. This this I'm sometimes against going back and like reserving up a thing that's been served before, but clearly so much effort has gone into completely reimagining these and oh, making yeah, I mean, sure if, that they feel modern. Yeah. If you're doing a ground up overhaul um, more so than something like movies, although there hmm. can be some remakes that are well worth it. But more so in games, like I feel it's very worth it if you're gonna truly commit to what you're doing. Yeah, you take a dated game like Resident Evil Two, which you know these days many people would find very difficult to play just on a mechanical level, and reimagine it the way they did. That is such a worthy pursuit. I, I think I might have said this last week, but I, I keep coming back to that comparison to the, the fucking Crash Bandicoot remake, mm. where 
that was just a remake that didn't make any effort to modernise anything beside the visuals, but this this has really gone out of its way to make this feel like a modern game, which is what I hoped for. Yeah, yeah. One thing I love about it is I've rarely seen a game that uses its spaces so well. Um, Resident Evil 7 did, did it well as well also, but like... By the time I finished my second run with that, with Claire, isn't it Claire? I knew that police station inside out. I knew every like corner and nook and cranny yeah. of that police station, and I think that's really cool because sometimes people have a problem with backtracking. Um, but I feel like in a game like that, it's it's okay because the whole point is to get you familiar with those surroundings. And yeah. well, I think there's a difference between backtracking and just judiciously using the space you have yeah um i don't think it's it, it, i don't think it's we can really label it fully backtracking if all of the action is just taking place in a, a more confined environment yeah i feel like it's it's less comparable to backtracking and more like those sort of hub worlds you had in like a, a mario 64 or yeah. something where it's like yeah you're using the same space but you're doing very different things through it and you're getting very familiar with the the intricacies of that yeah. space before you move on and the way the way they used the map to help you with that was really well done yeah. like how they would tell you where the the certain doors were and if there was an item you'd forgotten to pick up it would be marked on the map yeah the map is brilliant i love the map it's really really well done um my one um, bugbear with the game that I just did not like at all was the boss fights. I thought they were pretty... They seemed designed with these huge, big, wide area attacks, which just kind of made every boss fight you just trying to run wide circles around them and then shooting. Um, I know it was going to be hard to do it any other way because there's no dodge mechanic, but I don't know, I felt like... Resident Evil 4 and 5 had boss fights that I don't remember being that annoying and frustrating. I'm trying to remember, did Resident Evil 4 have a dodge mechanic? I can't remember. It had QTEs. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's, that's maybe what I'm picturing, because I can picture Leon jumping to the side, leaping out the way of something, but I couldn't remember how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. The QTEs in Resident Evil 4 can fuck so much off. I like them, they're cheesy. I don't like being ambushed in the middle of a cutscene by a QTE. It wasn't so much the existence of them, it was the placement of them that pissed me off. They were ambushes. I didn't mind them for the most part, but they got really frustrating, say, in that knife fight, where if you missed one... You had to go all the way back to the start, <laughs> and there were like fifteen yeah. QTEs you had to hit in a sequence. Like, <laughs> oh, I remember that cutscene. Yeah, I hated it so much. Was that was that the fight up on the roof? I think eventually oh. you fight Krauser right in this place where he's like sh firing drones and stuff at you. Yeah. But I think yeah. before then, there's like a cutscene knife fight. Yeah, on a, on a kind of a metal platform. Oh, above those sort of metal tank things. Yeah. yeah. And it goes on forever, and you, if you miss, I think you can miss like two of them or something. I think if you miss one, you're okay. But I don't know. It's been so long since I've uh, played four. It was, now. it was unforgiving. Yeah, but um, yeah, well done, Capcom. That's two really good Resident Evil games in a row. That's like <laughs> it's not something I expected to say. Yeah, keep it going, Capcom. Well, I think I think three now because we've had what. Resident Evil 7, uh, Resident Evil Remake, and Resident Evil 2 Remake. Like, I think all three of them have been pretty, pretty great. Yeah, good point. They're, they're, they're on a pretty good roll at the moment. They seem to have regained an idea of what makes a Resident Evil fun. Yeah. Also, the enemy design, like, really scary. Oh, gosh. And these are some horrifying zombies. The lick, the first time I saw a licker, <laughs> the first time I saw a licker on the ceiling, I nearly it fucking... Yelled. It's so <laughs> nice seeing these designs revisited in HD and suddenly being like, oh, that's what you were going for. Okay. <laughs> oh, one other thing that slightly bothered me. There's a character in the game, I won't spoil, who kind of um, chases you a lot. And in the first playthrough, he appears kind of a little later. And I was like, okay, it's kind of fun thing for maybe the last 20% of the time in the police station before we move on. But in the second playthrough, he appeared like 15 minutes in and was basically pissing me off for the entire 
second run through of the police station and I felt like maybe they could have brought him in a bit yeah. later because it just became a chore just waiting for him to go away so he could just get on with the get on with the game. I feel like with him I'd have appreciated them throwing in a few um uh like hiding places like a few clock tower yeah. style or uh, outlast style hiding places mm. um cuz you yeah. you know you can hide from him but if you're running down a long corridor with no field of view obstructed it's very hard to shake the guy off yeah like be able to hide in a in a locker or something yeah. for a minute and come out when he's gone but funnily enough like something that horrified me about um and it almost everybody knows who it is by now but um Mr. X, to give him his uh, preferred nom de plume. Um, some of the most horrifying aspects of, of being stalked by him wasn't being chased. It was like when I was in a room like the library where there are two floors and I'm on the top floor and the door just opens and he walks in and walks around the library and goes out the other door. And that was more horrifying to me than actively being chased by him because it just reinforces that idea of, oh, he's there all the time and that yeah that fu that freaked me out yeah it was mm. it was when i went into the main hall with my typewriter and storage box and he just followed me right in there <laughs> the first time that happened was a wake-up yeah. call <laughs> it's like oh okay there's nowhere that's safe and the funny thing is is he let a couple of zombies in from the library and one fell over the yeah. banister <laughs> at the top floor oh, so yeah. i was running from mr x and suddenly this corpse <laughs> like um out of fucking wreck just comes off the top floor and lands face down in front of me on the floor fucking brilliant his sound design was genius as well like it's so creepy when he's like stomping around yeah. and you're not quite sure if he's right outside the door or if he's above you i love that music of that that accompanies him just that weird yeah. sort of little industrial tilt to it it's the the music all overall is really effective the sound design like the zombies screaming and everything it takes a lot to make zombies scary now because you know they're like xenomorphs or cthulhu it's like mm. it's been so done but they they made them intimidating the way the zombies are animated was really creepy yeah well. yeah like ac they look yeah. like actual animated corpses I have to say as well, there was a forced stealth section in the middle of the game where you play as another character, and uh, uh, I thought that was fucking bullshit. That whole sequence was so annoying. So many, so many Resident Evils have done that. Like, there's one of those in RE4. I think was was there one in of those in RE7 as well. Like, Resident Evil does like its forced stealth sections where you play as like a different person and it's one of those sequences where you have to do exactly what the game wants you to do at exactly the moment in a f in a very particular order mm. or you auto you instant fail and have to start all over again it's not hard but it's just annoying yeah there was one bit in that cell section where i i had to die to get a second chance so that i knew exactly what i was doing so i could do it in time yeah was that to do with the door was it it was to do with the door while i was being chased and I just didn't have enough time to learn what to do and do it. I had to learn what to do, die, and then do it. Yeah, that was total bullshit, that part. I know it's only one death, but still. It's a principle of the thing. Yeah. You then have to start that entire stealth sequence again then. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good game, though. But yeah, really good game. I, I need to come back to it. Like I, I want to do some nice, nice late nights and play it in the dark. Yeah. In terms of game releases, outside of any business stuff... Capcom's on a roll, and I'm excited about it. Capcom's stuff has been on in pretty good form. Yeah. When Capcom is focused and knows what it's doing, it is still one of the greats. And it sold it sold three million in the first week, which is really yeah. uh, encu en encouraging. That again, single player games, we want them. <laughs> what have they released in recent months? Uh, in like recent months, the last three Resident Evils have been pretty good. I, I didn't stick with it, but I thought Monster Hunter World was probably the most I've enjoyed a Monster Hunter. Same. Yeah, not for me, but I can tell it's great. And, and and the people who loved that series, I think a lot of them felt it was the best one ever. A lot of their franchises, they've been putting out the most well-made games in those series in a while. Like, I don't know what happened yeah. like in the last two years, but something's, something got them. Yeah. And, and we still got Devil May Cry 5. Yeah, dang yeah, that's that's a good point. And it's probably going to be great. Uh, other games that have been played this week. 
I got round to playing some of that uh, No More Heroes, Travis Strikes Again. Oh, yeah, what did you think? Uh, so, first of all, I just want to say, fuck Suda, for, fuck Suda for, for naming the game Travis Strikes Again, but naming a thing within the game Travis Strikes Back. Because right. Because it has confused me no end as to what I'm supposed to call this game. Oh yeah, when I was trying to record the impressions video for it, I kept having to re-record bits because I kept saying Travis Strikes Back. You know what's my favourite story about this? I interviewed him uh, like a month or two ago or something. And I accidentally, at some point, called it Travis Strikes Back, and he corrected me and went, no, 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 Travis Strikes Back is not the name of a game I have made. And I'm like, "Mm, but it it, it turns out it is, though, though. What an arsehole. What an arsehole, I say with some affection. He was legitimately super lovely to chat with, but in hindsight that makes me laugh that he corrected me on that. And then it turns out he did call the thing in his game, Travis Strikes Back. He, he says and does things like that because Suda51 is high on the smell of Suda51. <laughs> so, having played it, it's a kind of repetitive top-down uh, action-y game that is really lacking in... Um, really lacking from the not having voice acting anymore. That really hurts yeah. it. Like, the lack of, of cutscenes really hurts it. And... A very disappointing lack of changes in gameplay when it goes to these different worlds. Like, some of these worlds, the whole change is like, oh, we moved the camera perspective up a bit, and now you have to turn some roads around. Uh, Some of the games, I don't even know what genres they're trying to parody or to mimic. There's one where you're in, I think it's called Coffee and Donuts, where you're... You keep finding a corpse and offering it coffee and donuts, and then it oh, turns God. into energy and floats away, and so then the dull. corpse is somewhere else, and you have to... Yeah. It's just the same thing, over and over and over. I was like, is this meant to be like a Danganronpa-style mystery, murder mystery house? No, it's not that. Like, Well, that's it. I mean, it doesn't help that the this idea of multiple genres is just lip service. Oh, yeah. That it is basically the same game over and over, but they do these forced repetitive sequences to try yeah. and trick you into thinking it's a different type of game when it's not. Yeah. It's like, this This one's about hunting a mass murderer. Occasionally turn the roads round. Like, I, it's... Yeah. I, here's the thing. I probably would have enjoyed this more had it just been very straightforward of this is just a top-down hack-and-slash action game. Go enjoy it. Yeah. And how pants is that motorbike? The, oh. the bike racing. What is that? Oh, it's disappointing as hell. Just go forward in a line. The thing that disappoints me about this game is it keeps teasing me with good ideas of things that I would really like, and then the execution of every one of them is just really lazy. Yeah. It's it's like they're saying, like, imagine what we could do with a budget and trust, and I'm like, yeah. great, but I, I, even if you need the money or you need to prove that the concept sells... No one should be expected to fork over their hard-earned cash for your hollow proof of concept. There's a version of this game that could exist with a better budget where, like, all of the, the or at least, like, the, the boss fight-related dialogue is voiced, or, like, the main character dialogue is voiced. You get cool cutscenes before you do the boss fights, and where there's at least some semblance of tweaking the mechanics of the game to better reflect the game worlds you've gone into, that I could see myself really loving. Even if it was at its core still a top-down hack-and-slash, I could see myself really enjoying that. Yeah. But it's it's just stripped out all the things I liked about No More Heroes, which was yeah. the, the dramatic, over-the-top voice acting, the big, cool cutscenes to make the bosses memorable, and... Uh, the the perspective on the combat that made it really fun and now i'm just like well i'm going to i'm going to finish playing through it cuz i want to know the plot stuff that comes of it because when no more heroes 3 inevitably happens i want to know what's going on some of the writing here and there is quite funny i i i i've made it about 3 or 4 worlds in and i'm at a point now where i'm like i'm not going to keep playing it now but I'll come back to it later when I want to play something that I don't have to think too much about. Yeah. And I'll eventually finish this game. I will probably play some of it on train journeys where I'm like, oh, I don't want to have to do anything that I have to focus on too much. And I'll have fun. But it's it's really not what the, the premise sold me that this was going to be something much more than it was. Yeah. Like, I, I 
I, I've said a few times now, but I thought level one was a joke. I, I think that the biggest mistake that Suda made around this game was not showing anything beyond that first game in in ahead of release. I think if he'd come out really early on and just been and and made it clear this is a top-down hack and slash game, sure we go to different game worlds, but like at its core it's a, it's going to stay a top-down hack and slash game. That would have done so much to set my expectations because yeah. it was so close to launch before I found out that wasn't the case. Yeah, well, some of the marketing makes it seem like it's... And, and some of the people who responded to my video and, and my discussions on it were like, I thought it was more than this. I thought all these different game worlds, you know, it'd be something simil more similar to what the Hex was doing with, like, s yeah. the same control scheme but representing lots of different cool genres. Exactly. Like, I went and played an hour of it, like, behind closed doors and was like... Oh hey, well you know this is the top-down hack and slash, but you know there's other game worlds. I'm excited to see how the mechanics change up. Um, the other th the, I've said this one before, but the whole thing where he talked about like ah collaborations with a bunch of indie developers, and then left it until like a month before launch to say that was just shirts was like yeah. oh that that gave me a completely the wrong impression of what this was. Yeah, you get you can wear an Undertale shirt in the game. Well yeah. done. Well done, Suda. Massive indie collaboration. Get Toby Fox and go, hey, can you help me make a top-down thing where there'll be some bullet hell stuff going on? Can yeah. you help me do that, maybe? Or at the very least, can I, um, you know, make some more proper references to the characters or, or the world in the game itself? Can I take some of your ideas and recreate them within this pastiche? Yeah. Like, he probably would have got a, a, a significantly fewer indie developers on board for that, but it would have been way more exciting than a bunch of t-shirts. I'd have happily thrown away all the t-shirts to have, like, three of these worlds out of seven feel unique. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Also, oh my god, why are there so many Unreal shirts? The, the whole game is advertising Unreal Engine. Like, there are, there's dialogue that, that is legit shilling for it. Well, that's, that's the thing is, I saw the reference in the opening cutscene where it's like, ah, it's made with Unreal. I thought that was just like a one-off joke, and then I started playing, and it's like, okay, okay, there's a, a couple of Unreal shirts in the thing, that's fine. Then I pick up an Unreal coin mm -hmm. that gets me another Unreal shirt, and then he starts referencing Unreal in cutscenes again. I'm like, oh. There are Unreal logos and references. Every It's kind of tacky. If it had happened once... That would have been like, ah, that's a fun nod. Sure. That's a self-awareness of the world he's in. I, that I'd have, I'd have been like, that was funny. Because that's what happened. I saw, preview event, I saw the one joke in the opening cutscene. I was like, oh yeah, that's quite funny. I didn't, I didn't know it was just going to be unreal over and over and over again. Yeah, it's, it's really quite tacky and a little bit dirty. It feels like the occasionally cheap and tacky indie games that you see with the Made With Unity splash screen and you start associating Made With Unity with worse games because those are the only ones <laughs> that have the splash screen. It feels like that situation. It's like, the more you remind me that this is made in Unreal, the more I'm just getting annoyed at Unreal. Yeah, yeah, because uh, this is not, not an impressive game that comes anywhere close to what Unreal can do. Yeah. So it's odd that it is boasting about how it's powered by Unreal. Um, I've got to wonder if there's some funding agreement that they struck with Unreal or something mm. for them to be that... Like, it feels like it's more of a collaboration with Unreal. Certainly more so than any indie developer. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'd have to check it out. But all I know is the end product is constantly shilling for Unreal Engine. Well, anyway, no more heroes. Travis strikes uh, again. again. Not yeah. back again. Um, he strikes back again. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a, the, the other annoying thing is strikes back, the text adventure within the game, is... Oh, there's there's no choices to make. It's just read yeah. dialogue. It's it's the only time there's a real dramatic genre shift, and it's a genre shift that's been parodied better in both Nia and Saints Row the Third, if I recall correctly. Like, just just give me some meaningless choices that don't actually change anything, but make me feel like I have occasional agency and I'll see a slightly different line of dialogue because of what I chose. Done. Just I'm not reading that ugly green text on that black background. I was so thankful when I got to the second one of those and, like, Gene the cat starts making references about how 
the player doesn't want to be reading long blocks of text and they make that one a lot shorter. I was like, thank God. Yeah. Thank you. Awful. Uh, I, I'm, it's a real shame that I don't love this more than I do because the first two games, some of my favourite games ever, I would overlook their flaws because of how much I love them. Even if this had just had the presentation, I'd probably overlooked a lot. Yeah. Um, other games this week. Gavin, you played some Hitman 2. Yes, I did. And it was my se- it's my second time uh, giving this game a go. I just couldn't get into it the first time because um, I feel like I was being too... You know the way Hitman is structured in the way that you play it through the first time and you probably make a bit of a mess of it. And then you know all the things, and then you play it again to get like the perfect assassinations and stuff. Yeah, uh, I don't like that. I don't like missing opportunities t- and and stuff that's timed and having to replay it to do it right. But I realized that even if you miss the kind of timed ones, there's still kind of funny, fun, secret ways you can you can get them. Oh yeah, there's there's loads of options because i thought that i i was there thinking that all of the events had to be done at a certain time and that to me is just the absolute opposite of fun that's like what what was that zombie game that's like dead rising yeah and i don't like that yeah but uh i've actually been really enjoying it now that i'm just playing it really slowly and just exploring these amazingly detailed locations and that, that game is most fun when you you don't stress about your end goal and go yeah. what can i find and how might it help and just let yourself have a wonder exactly like and there's I love how 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 many different ways you can approach stuff and how many different ways you can find like I was trying to get into a secret lab and I found a golf ball with a bomb in it and threw it at a crack in a wall wondering if it would like do anything and it cracked a wall in the sewer and I walked into the sewer and realized I was now in the secret secret lab that I had to find <laughs> which I was planning a completely different route to yeah, yeah. You know, just little things like that, that when you discover them, they're, they're really great. It's, it's the joy of discovering quite how many options they've put into a single confined space to go like, there are a lot of ways you can solve this problem. Yeah. yeah. It's another fine example of, of what we talked about with use of space, because mm. you're in these open, but, you know, restricted uh, levels but you can play them over and over again and have completely different experiences because there is so much going on in each level. Yeah, exactly. And it's really um it's really quite funny as well. There's a very dark humor to the game. Mm. Like some of the I I killed one guy by reprogramming. He wanted a a, a demonstration of his new uh amazing ai oh yeah thing that would like fight whatever and you can reprogram it to shoot him and i just there's just such a lovely irony to some of the kills and, and a very dark humor to it all i like it a lot yeah I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're having a better time with it this time around yeah that seems to happen to me a lot these days i play a game and i just don't have the patience to play it properly (laughs) so sometimes just the the kind of game you're in the mood for when you first pick it up isn't the kind of game it wants to be played as yeah and also i think for me it was about realizing that hitman as a game is more about the fun of exploring the level and stuff than it is about get to your target and kill them do you know well like that's that's how i how i've been feeling with that mass effect andromeda revisiting just sometimes Playing it a different way can really make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so, fun fun segment we've not done on this show for a while, which I'll, I'm bringing back just for, for a minute. I got sent some weird food, <gasps> and I'm not going to eat it on show, but I'm going to talk about my experience of having eaten it. Weird food. Yeah, weird food. That was a segment I used to do. Yeah. Um, so someone called Justin, uh, Justin Alvey, sent me two packages of Chinese Oreos and um, get ready for these flavours because they're a lot. I didn't know savoury Oreos were a thing. Um, I got sent a package of hot wing Oreos. Oh, no! And a package of wasabi Oreos. No! Who let that happen? I don't know. China, apparently, I guess. Oh, my God. They regulate so much, and yet yet that happened. Yeah. So I didn't eat them on air because last time I did that on this show, I threw up jelly beans, and it wasn't a pleasant experience for anyone. But 
I ate both hot wing, like hot wing and wasabi uh, Oreos. Uh. Uh, first of all, they don't change the flavor of the Oreo biscuit at all, so it's still that sort of slightly sweet chocolatey biscuit with these savory fillings, and it just clashes on both of oh, them. Oh, um, no, I feel ill. Like, I don't like wasabi anyway. I'll say that the wasabi ones taste like wasabi, and they don't clash too badly with the biscuit, but like... My brain was just going, this is meant to be sweet. Why It tastes like Oreo, but it's not sweet. What's going on? Yeah. Uh, the hot wing one, less like sort of like chili hot wings, more just tastes like you took two Oreo biscuits and you smeared barbecue, like a thick layer of barbecue sauce between them. It's just, what? why is this and chocolate? These two flavours shouldn't work together. Ooh. Like, I could stomach it, I could eat it, but... Why would I? <laughs> so, thank you, Justin, for, for putting me through that particular experience. I've now eaten two very weird flavours of Oreos, but at least I have a story out of it. I'm, I'm with Jim there with the whole ew. Yeah, yeah. Like, I still have most of two packets right next to me, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with these. Like, I need to find other people who do things on the internet where they eat weird things that I can palm them off to. <laughs> That's the thing. I just I try one of each and then go right. Whose problem are they now? <laughs> um, so oh, the video game stuff. I think we got a couple of bits of news before we wrap up. Let me just have a quick look. FIFA. You know they've got their uh, FIFA Ultimate Team. Their whole <laughs> microtransaction <laughs> thing that everyone like kids waste all their money on. Well, well, well. Well, uh, they stopped selling those in Belgium. <laughs> Well, well, well. Well, itsy, well, well, itsy, well, itsy. It's almost like some level of regulation in order to protect people from unscrupulous practices will stop those things appearing in games. Yeah. Yeah. Almost. It's almost like that. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this is especially interesting, of course, because a lot of games and, and game companies complied with, with Belgium's uh, findings, and EA said no. They're like, fuck yeah. that, we're going to keep selling it anyway. And they've not explained why they've had their change of heart, just that it was after discussion with the authorities. <laughs> so <laughs> at some point it was spelled out to them that, uh, yeah. you know, their what EA and 2K call their interpretation of the law is sticking. And I, th I think they mentioned they're going to still try and work a way out uh, with the Belgium authorities, but... But right right now it's like, <laughs> no EA, you're going to stop. Their rather brash, arrogant stance has deflated, yes. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I don't... I'm still not... I'm still sort of stopping short of celebrating these regulations, because... To me, it's sad it had to come down to this. It is sad that it had to come down to it, but I'm glad that... I'm hoping that as this happens to more companies, we'll start to see more self-regulation out of fear of more regulation. Yeah, just rein it in, get some control, get some chill, fucking yeah. game industry. I mean, that's part of the problem, is they couldn't chill out. They just had to descend on the loot box idea and exploit it so yeah. quickly. And EA especially, I have no sympathy for here, because this is all their fault. It, yeah. They pushed the barrier, they pushed the envelope with Star Wars Battlefront 2 so much that there was that massive groundswell of pushback that got so much attention from not just uh, game communities, but the press and then the politicians. EA are the reason that mainstream press and politicians know about loot boxes. Um... Other than that, we got uh, another loot boxy story. Fortnite, which up until now only had cosmetic microtransactions, now has loot boxes. Or randomised things that you pay for. Ugh. Yeah, it's not in Battle Royale mode, but in Save the World. Oh, okay. Uh, you, yeah. you could get randomised loot as rewards for, for winning matches. and It's it's not in Battle Royale yet. Not, well, that's it, mm. yet. Um... So basically, you get these randomised... Basically, they were free loot boxes you were getting anyway, but there was no way to pay for them previously. Now, if you get a loot box and you don't like the contents of it, you can pay to re-roll the contents of your loot box. So that that has... That's a real shame, because I was very on board with Fortnite's financial model, where it is 
hey, do you want a bit of extra stuff for the season? Give us a couple of quid. I doubt they were hurting for money. Yeah, I mean, that's it. They're making a, an obscene amount of cash already. Uh, but then, of course, that's always the problem. Yeah. You make more cash, you've you got to make more. you got to make all the cash. Yeah, you got to keep making more because... Oh, we, we saw this with uh, BuzzFeed recently. Massive amounts of growth, and yet I think it was 15% layoffs because their CEO said gr growth is not enough. Yeah. And you think that's the the core thing that would be enough. Uh, but it's not, because the more money you make, the more your shareholders expect, the more you are pressured to make. And if you fail to make it, shareholders start getting angry. So you start, rather than um, being happy with the money you've got and just keep doing it uh, to keep making money, you start cutting things. This is why, mm. as I've argued several times... Um, People are wrong when they say, well, I support microtransactions because I want game developers to stay employed. That ain't going to help them. Yeah. Um, layoffs will happen regardless because companies will do anything to keep making money. And one of the best ways for them to do that is to gut their own workforce. They don't care who they will shank to keep making money. Um, so long as it's not someone at the top who's making so much money, they could skip pay for like a week, um, like a week's worth of pay, and still have enough money to more than live on several times over, and could probably fund a game themselves. Yeah. Uh, and last bit that I think is probably worth noting, that I think I think this is a positive bit of news. Um, Metroid Prime 4 has been completely scrapped and restarted. Basically, Nintendo were like, we're not happy with it. We're not happy with the the pro quality of product that's being made. We're not happy with the team that was making it. Uh, we're starting over from scratch. We're giving it back to Retro, who used to make them. Which, to me, sounds like good news. Like, Retro know how to make Metroid Prime games. Like, everyone has been asking them to let Retro go back on Metroid Prime. Um, I would always rather hear a story that a game got scrapped and restarted than that they pushed ahead with it when it was looking in a bad state. Yeah. I've heard things that I, I don't know how accurate this is. I'm just going off of mumblings I heard for a while. I kept hearing that it was Namco Bandai that were working on Metroid Prime. Like, that's that's been the rumblings for a while. And it made sense. Like, Nintendo has been partnering more closely with other companies. The idea being, if we let other people do things with our properties, we can get more of our first-party software out more regularly, which helps our console stay good. It it made sense. If if it's true that Namco Bando were working on it, that made sense. And they've never made a Metroid Prime before, so that might explain what happened there, that they it just wasn't standing up to what Nintendo wanted it to be. But I'm glad they're redoing it, at least. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... I, I'm not a big follower of, of Metroid stuff, um, but this seems like a good thing. Uh, it's always a good sign when you announce a delay on something and people are not pissed. Yeah. Um, because they're happy with the, you know, what they've got in exchange, which is this, you know, this well-respected, experienced in the series developer. Well, for years, people have just been going, stop making retro, make Donkey Kong side-scroller remakes, let them make Metroid Prime, which I think that's a bit harsh. I, I enjoy the side-scrolling Donkey Kong things enough, but I think announcing that retro were now involved in it, particularly after they were so quiet about who was developing it for the first however long... I, that helped. Like, I think if they hadn't been able to announce that Retro were doing it, it would have had a lot more negativity. But, yeah. I think I think that's it for, for everything this week. Yeah, I think that's about it. We done done did a show. Bye. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's me to do this, isn't it? <laughs> this is the bit we're waiting for you on, Jim. It's, it's me. I've got to do it. Uh, right. I can do the outro if you like, Jim. Jim, what do you do this week? Sorry, I was... I trying to run admin at the same time because I thought it would be efficient and instead it's just delayed everything uh, right yes um, follow me at Laura K Bars on Twitter um, I, can't, I hear these summaries every week and I can't remember them word for word um, but Laura 
when people aren't following you at Laura K Buzz on Twitter, where else can they see your stuff? Laura K Buzz in most of the places, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, those sort of things. I've got a couple of books that are happening. Uncomfortable Labels is coming out in June, July, somewhere in the summer. It's on the internet. Go, go look up copies. You can pre-order it. Things I learned from Mario's butt. Today I finished writing that book. We've got to finish the art off still, but the like... The text of the book is done, which is exciting. Uh, you can get that on Unbound. And I'm on a D&D podcast called uh, Dice Funk. It's a fifth edition podcast. I'm on seasons three, four, and five. They're all self-contained stories. I think that's it. Alrighty. And Gavin, you do the music. Um, where Where's your Resident Evil 2 song? There's not going to be a Resident Evil 2 song. But where's the Resident Where's the Kingdom Hearts? <laughs> where's the Travis Strikes Again song? <laughs> There's no songs at the moment, I'm afraid. Oh. Where's this guy with yeah. sword song? Where's sword song? Where's <laughs> Gavin? Uh, well, where can people listen to the uh, not new songs that you do? The ones that do exist. Yes. <laughs> You can find them on Spotify and on YouTube under Miracle of Sound. And you can find them on iTunes and all good music stores. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram and Patreon, all under Miracle of Sound. Great stuff. Uh, Right, yes, that is it now. Definitely done. Um, Thank you all for listening so much. Thank you for your continued support. It really is gratefully appreciated. Um, Get back to your Kingdom Hearts or whatever it is you want to play, listener. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.